Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Testudo Talk podcast. I'm Andrew Chodas, alongside, like always, Emmett Siegel. We just, we just wrapped up Maryland Men's Basketball Media Day. We're outside, beautiful College Park campus behind us. And, uh, you might not be able to see it on the video, yeah. but uh, we're sitting here right outside of Xfinity yes. Center after the open part of practice just ended. Um, and we got the, the campus behind us right there is where they're building that new uh, basketball practice facility. So uh, It'll be done in 10 years. Yeah, something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I got our first look at the, uh, at the basketball team about two weeks before the season opener. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of things to take away. You know, Willard's, I think Willard's opening presser, he mentioned a lot of how college basketball has changed with the transfer portal and, and NIL, which I thought was really insightful. But I think to me, the number one thing was how ecstatic he, he was, how excited he was for this freshman class. Yeah, I mean, th this freshman class, uh, Deshaun Harris-Smith and Jamie Kaiser are, are the two most prominent because they're probably going to start this year. Mm -hmm. um, but then John Lamoth, uh, Braden Pierce, really, really optimistic about this freshman class, really, really optimistic about this team, it seems. It seems like he's, yeah. he's a lot more confident this year, maybe a little bit less hectic of an offseason than last year. Obviously, it was his first season, um, but... Uh, yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of optimism, as there always is before the season, and it's it's good to see that as we uh, as we head into Kevin Willard's second year as head man of the program. Yeah, no, and I think another takeaway was definitely the versatility that Kevin Willard mentioned he has in his lineup. Mentioned it in their uh, secret scrimmage against Cincinnati, he used uh, a much larger lineup where where he was able to put Maddie Traore, uh, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese. But then he also mentioned where they had a smaller, more athletic lineup where they would. A guy like transfer from Indiana, Jordan Geronimo, would, would play the five. And I, I also asked uh, Deshaun Howard-Smith about this. I was like, you and Jameer can couple with a backcourt and kind of bring more size to that. So I think that the players and coaches alike are super excited about the versatility of, and athleticism that this lineup can bring. Yeah, and we had an opportunity to talk to one of the coaches one-on-one, -on -one, or I guess two-on-one. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to that interview in a second. We had an opportunity to talk to David Cox, who is the only returning assistant coach from this year's staff after yeah. Tony Skin left, uh, Grant Billmeyer left, both for head coaching jobs. But that was a really good interview. Um, we'll come back after that with, with some more of our takeaways. Um, those are just, you know, maybe maybe some of the key things that stuck out, and we'll get more into Kevin Willard and some of the players' comments. But, uh, but before we do that, here's our interview with David Cox. We are now joined by David Cox, assistant coach of the Maryland men's basketball team. David, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Happy to be back out here at Media Day. How has this offseason been a little bit different for you obviously last year you know new coaching staff you were brought in with with Kevin Willard to you know uh, to start this this new era of Maryland basketball how's this offseason have you felt a little bit more comfortable maybe this year it's been just exact just as hectic uh, a little bit more comfortable but just as hectic as soon as we got here last year we had to hit the ground running obviously and um, get ourselves a team you know we had to go out and, 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 and fill the roster and then jump on the next the next class which we obviously came out pretty fortunate with this class that, 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 that we acquired, but uh, things have been the same. I mean, this, as coach mentioned during the presser, uh, this is nonstop. The season ended, you know, as soon as we lost to Alabama, and then we were right back to campus dealing with the transfer portal, you know, getting our freshmen back here on campus for the summer, having summer workouts, foreign tour to Italy, back in recruiting mode, as well as trying to get this season off the ground. So things have been definitely uh, busy and steady. Uh, perhaps not as frantic as last year, but but busy. Yeah, you mentioned how hectic you know the off season has been, and kind of the freshmen that you've recruited. Obviously, with your DMV roots, to get guys like like Deshaun and Jamie, how important is that for you, and just for the program in general? I know the fans obviously love to get those Maryland guys. Yeah, extremely important for a program like the University of Maryland, which is one of the top ten 
programs in the country uh, to secure a home base. Uh, one of the, you know, obviously one of the reasons that I was so attracted to the University of Maryland is I'm a, I'm a native and uh, I grew up watching Maryland basketball. You know, I grew up being a huge fan of Maryland basketball. I'm obviously a little bit biased in regards to my evaluation of the talent, uh, but I think, you know, uh, it's nationally known that this is a hotbed, particularly, you know, uh, at the high school level. Uh, so if we have that talent here, one of the top 10 programs in the country, you know, um, we should be able to secure that, that talent. Now, in regards to this freshman class, you know, um, I have to give credit where credit is due. We had another assistant coach here last year by the name of Tony Skin, who was now right. the head coach of George Mason, who, along with me, you know, uh, uh, conquered this this task of, you know, getting a Paul Six kid, of getting a Bishop Iredon kid, obviously Jamie, who ended up going to IMG, of going into Baltimore and getting the St. Francis kid. You know, that was kind of our, our collective vision and our collective mission. Uh, but not to be forgotten, Tony Skin played a huge, major role in that. And now that we have Mike here, who I've known for, Wow, you know, 30 plus years, uh, I feel that we'll do the same. Well, that was going to be my next question. Um, I know you said that you grew up around here, but you also grew up, from what I know, with Mike Jones, essentially, you know, good friends going way back. What is your relationship like, and, and how cool is it to be coaching with him now? No, it's awesome. I mean, just imagine that at 13 years old, we were playing AAU basketball wow. together, uh, you know, for a local a local travel team, a pretty good <laughs> local travel team that competed, that competed nationally. Uh, and then we competed against each other for four years in high school. We're the same age, we're in the same grade. So he went to DeMatha, I went to St. John's, and we competed against each other there for four years. And then he ended up going, he ended up attending Old Dominion, which was in the Colonial Athletic Conference. I attended William & Mary wow. Colonial Athletic Conference. So we competed there again for four more years. My wife also attended Old Dominion. So, you know, it's just a big, you know, it's like a big full circle. Then obviously we came back when our separate ways. Mike started coaching at the Matha. I was coaching AAU. I was an assistant principal at St. John's. And then I got into college coaching about 18 years ago. Uh, and now our paths kind of full circle and we're, we're back together. It feels good. Mike is a outstanding coach, but a, an even better, an even better person. Uh, he's going to be a great recruiter here locally in this area and nationally because of his USA basketball ties. Um, he's going to be a developer of talent and a developer of young men. So he fits our culture, you know, he fits um, our needs here. And uh, I'm excited about having him here. Yeah, kind of to expand on that question, just I guess, you know, it's year two of the, of the Kevin Willard era. How do you feel like the relationships among the staff have developed and building that building that culture? How do you how do you hope to kind of have that this year? Well, everything starts from the top. So I've got to give, you know, again, credit where credit is due. Coach, Coach Willard is a a mighty good coach, uh, but I think uh, where he's elite at is um, he runs his place like a like a like a business. You know, I mean, he is he is the CEO, he is the he is the chief executive officer, and uh, there's a trickle down effect because of that. We're very professional in our approach as assistant coaches. We try to be very efficient, try to be very organized, try to be on, very on top of things because that is the manner in which he operates and then trickles down to our players. And now we've, after one year, not to mention the success of winning, we have begun to establish ourselves and establish our culture. We have to continue to build on it. Uh, but I think we've brought in the right players to help continue to build in that culture. And as I said, everything starts from the top. So Coach Willard runs this program the way the program is supposed to be run, uh, which is why I think we have some major success coming in the near future. Well, speaking of bringing in some new players, uh, I know with the transfer portal and, and the way the windows work out, uh, players can enter the portal before or during the NCAA tournament. 
After that loss to Alabama, I know some coaches around the country, especially head coaches, but, but even assistants have talked about, you know, during the NCAA tournament, you're recruiting. Did you have a similar experience where, you know, how soon after that loss to Alabama, after uh, the win against West Virginia, were you guys back out there looking in the portal, looking for, uh, for players for the following year? Well, without telling on ourselves, <laughs> as I mentioned to you, if you can read between the lines here, recruiting is nonstop. It is nonstop at this level. You know, you're recruiting and others are recruiting your players and, and, and your recruits. So we know once January hits, there is going to be a number of young men on different programs who are unhappy. Those players are going to look elsewhere. Right. There are going to be some young men on our particular team come January of this year, and there were some last year in January, who were unhappy. And uh, uh, they probably began at least thinking, maybe not actively looking, but thinking about their futures, which is, which is understandable. Because of that, because of the landscape, we have to be ahead of the game. We have to be thinking along those lines as well. So with that being said, while we were in the tournament, were we actively you know, contacting people? that were in the transfer portal? Absolutely, a absolutely. We, we could not, you know, uh, stand to fall behind, you know, week, two, few days, whatever it is, you know, every minute is valuable once these kids, kids jump into that transfer portal because there's a window of, our, you know, there's only a window of time before it closes. Um, so yes, all that long answer short, yes, we did jump in. This is a nonstop in regards to recruiting. Uh, it happens all over the place. Sometimes your players are being poached, you know, which I don't want to get, you know, in, into, but it, it happens. So you've just got to be on top of your game. Coach Willard mentioned that over the past year, he's he's kind of uh, got, got a grasp with NIL and how that works. A general question, got to ask it, how has NIL affected the transfer portal and as you go into year two of this coaching staff? Well, I'll just put it to you this way. I am a fan of the NIL. I do think that these young men, you know, I was a student athlete myself. Uh, I do think that these young men uh, do deserve um, uh, name, image, and likeness, pay, recognition, whatever you want to call it, the opportunity to, you know, to make some money. Uh, with that being said, uh, I do think that we have failed these young men in regards to um, not regulating it the way it should be regulated. And be, because of that, you have a lot of young men and a lot of families making decisions purely based on financial gain and not on actual opportunity, fit, you know, so on and so forth. You know, all the things that really, really should also matter. I don't want to say matter as, as much or more, but they should also matter. But they're not even being factored into the equation now. So with that being said, I think the onus is on us as coaches in the NCAA um, to regulate this a little bit better, whether that means putting a cap, you know, on the number or the amount of money that can be, you know, uh, in your collective or given out to whatever it is, but there needs to be a further discussion, I think. Well, let's get back to, to this year's team. Yep. Um, obviously return a couple key players, three starters, Jameer Young, Dante Scott, Julian Reese. What is it about those three that maybe you've seen them take a leap this year? Or, or you know, how do you kind of figure them to, uh, to maybe, maybe even extend their play a little bit further than what we saw last year, which is obviously a ton of success from those three? Well, I'm excited about the three of them because of the growth and development I saw in all three of them individually throughout last season. You know, I mean, you think about Jameer, who was, you know, a, a, a constant throughout every game last year with his effort 
and a lot of times with his production as well. You think about Julian's growth throughout the year, you know, started out maybe a little bit slow, uh, but he was just a sophomore, <laughs> first year starting, uh, but then progressively got better and better and better and ended up being one of the better big men in the, in the conference and, and perhaps even in the country. And then although, you know, the numbers don't necessarily indicate that Dante had a, you know, his best year last year, um, he was still also a constant for us. His effort on defensive end uh, improved. His defensive ability and production improved, whether it was getting deflections or blocking shots or, or what have you. Uh, we know that he can make a shot. We know that he can score the basketball. Uh, so I'm expecting a big year from all three of those guys, pretty much based on what I saw last year as far as their willingness to be coached and their, their growth and their development. Then we had a solid summer. We had a great trip to Italy where I thought the guys bonded and they really showed off their leadership abilities. And uh, thus far, they have continued along those same lines. So do they have to continue to make strides? Absolutely. Uh, but I'm excited about the direction that they're heading. Yeah, for a lot of a lot, a lot of college programs in in a first year of a coaching staff, we often see they bring energy, you kind of establish a new, a new culture. But there have been times where maybe the second year, there's a bit of a slump. How do you guys, you know, how do you guys ensure that you continue to grow in success? Kevin Willard. <laughs> we'll just we'll just start right there. Everything starts from the top. You know, he runs the program the way he runs the program, which is you know very efficiently, top notch. Um, yeah, there will be no slippage. Not 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 with that man in, in, in charge. You know, he's a uh, he's a stickler. Uh, he's a developer of talent. Um, he comes in every day, you know, with a focus, uh, a desire to get better. Uh, and that, again, uh, that trickles down to our players, particularly to our upperclassmen. They know what's expected. And I think we did a good job of bringing in guys, as I mentioned earlier, who fit our culture, who also love to play the game, love being in the gym, you know, who want to be coached. Um, so I think with all of that in place that, you know, it could possibly happen. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean in regards to those second-year slumps. But uh, yeah, I don't believe it'll happen under 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 a coach Willard, uh, uh, coached team. Now that we're firmly in the preseason, and we'll let you go after just a couple more questions. Um, you had a, a scrimmage against Cincinnati. I know it's technically behind closed doors, but you know information gets out, and uh, Kevin Willard said that you know maybe there was there were some injuries on the team. Uh, but that aside, how do you feel like that scrimmage went, and how do you feel like this team is along? In terms of its preseason development? Well, I'll be general. Generally speaking, I think we got exactly what we wanted out of it. We played, first of all, we competed against a team that wasn't us. <laughs> you know, we got some live bodies, uh, a very big, a very physical, a very athletic team. They'll be in the Big 12 this year. Um, so that, that part was good. Uh, they put us in some situations where we haven't actually, you know, gone over or discussed even during practice, which happens. Uh, so we've got some good film on that. Um, um, those guys were able to get the jitters out, you know, some of the younger guys. I thought our, our older guys, the three that you just mentioned, I thought they were very, you know, very comfortable out there. Uh, that helped relax everybody else. They also played very well. They were very efficient, very productive while they were out there on the floor. Um, but we've got a lot to work on. Like we've, got a, we've got a long, long, long way to go. Uh, but it was good to kind of get out there, get a feel for what they bring to the table individually, collectively, get back into the film room, and then today get back on the practice court. Yeah, Coach Willard uh, mentioned with all the with all the new players, the lineup has a lot of versatility. You can kind of play play big, kind of play small. How does having that versi that versatility kind of help you in the Big Ten? 
Well, it certainly helps in the Big Ten because of the size and the, the athleticism and the depth of all the teams and the different styles of play, you know. Uh, so with our versatility, you know, maybe we'll be able to hide a couple guys. If we, if we need to hide them, maybe we'll be able to, you know, throw in a guy that hasn't played a whole lot because of what he brings to the table, you know, in regards to the matchup to this particular team. So it just gives you options, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the last thing you want as a head coach is to have limited, limited options when you need either bodies or you need size or you need a versatile defender or you need a shot maker. Like, so we've got, you know, all those pieces, you know, our collective um, uh, a goal now as a staff is to, is to put it all together, you know, make it, make it, make it work, make it flow um, uh, uh, and build chemistry. Last question before we let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Got to ask, you guys went to Italy. Favorite non-basketball memory from that trip? Oh, wow. Wow. Favorite non-basketball memory. I mean, they, they were, I'm just trying to go from city to city here. There were, there were some good ones. I would have to say going to Lake Como. Un, I mean, just unbelievable. And we are taking the boat tour. And they're pointing out, you know, George Clooney's house and things of that nature. Like it was, it, it was, uh, it was surreal. It, it was absolutely surreal. I couldn't, would never have imagined myself being from this area. You know what I mean? Uh, one day having the opportunity to uh, to tour Italy the way the way we did. And uh, now it was uh, an amazing experience. I was fortunate to be able to bring my wife with me. Um, so uh, we both enjoyed that that that, that boat ride. Uh, she probably enjoyed. Uh, them pointing out George Clooney's house a little bit more than I did, understandably so. Uh, but no, it was really, it was really nice. Well, David Cox, thank you so much for joining the show, and best of luck this season. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you again to David Cox for giving us his time today. Really good interview. Uh, interesting perspective as the only returning assistant coach on this staff um, with head coaching experience. And I thought he had some some really insightful things to say, really honest, uh, gave some good answers about some big picture things and about this team in particular. Yeah. Was there anything that maybe stood out to you yeah. that, that he said that, that, that maybe stood apart from the others? Yeah, I'll start with a team in, with a team in particular. I believe you posed a question about the returning core with Jameer Young, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese, and he seems really enthusiastic about, about the next step that that court can kind of take with that experience and kind of keep the su sustained success. Because I also asked, obviously, in the first year of Kevin Willard, a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, kind of establishing a culture, obviously brought the fan base kind of back. But I was wondering, are there any thoughts of maybe a sophomore slump? Can they, can they sustain this? And I think he mentioned that the core of those three guys are a big reason why that culture is going to stay in place and they can have continued success. Yeah, and Kevin Willard mentioned those three guys, talked about Dante Scott, thinks he's going to have a breakout year. You know, we'll see. There's been uh, we're a couple years straight running, I think, yeah. of Dante Scott uh, having a, a breakout year. Um, we, the jokes were always that, that Hakeem Hart gained another inch every year. Maybe Dante Scott having a breakout year is the new one of those. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, having Jameer Young back, having Julian Reese back, and having Dante Scott back, you get three starters who were integral parts of the team last year who are coming back with that experience. Two of them are graduate students. One of them is a junior now who, you know, his development last year, we saw it, it was night and day from the beginning to the end of the season. I'm talking about Julian Reese. Um, yeah, those guys are definitely going to lead the team. Um, I thought the most interesting, in my opinion, answer that, that David had was uh, when we were talking about the transfer portal yeah. and when we were talking about during the NCAA tournament and, and even during before that, during the regular season, um, about how with the, with the window and when players can enter the portal, how he and the rest of the staff – 
they had some players in January, he said, that, that were already thinking about entering the portal um, in January. You know, he, he wasn't going to tell on himself, but it's pretty obvious, you know, players start reaching out, coaches start reaching out before the season's over. Um, it's just it's such a grind being a college head coach and being a college assistant coach these days. There's no days off. Kevin Willard in his press conference talked about the night after they lost to Alabama. He was on the phone talking to recruits. Um, and he, it, it was interesting the way he phrased it where he said that, you know, in this business you don't really have time to be disappointed when your season ends. You know, even he said Danny Hurley, not even sure if he had time to, to enjoy that national championship with UConn, you know, just because it, it's such a grind this year. Um, and, and you see that this year with, with some of the transfers they brought in, some of the freshmen. It's just like around the clock. It, 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 I can't imagine being a college coach these days. It just seems like such a difficult, demanding job. Yeah, and speaking of kind of the new era of the transfer portal, Obviously, I think we have to talk about NIL, and I thought David was great. I think he gave a pretty brutally honest uh, answer about NIL. Uh, he seemed, he said, you know, he, he likes it for the players and the opportunity it can bring, but he says it's really hurting players in the long term because it's so unregulated. Personal opinion, I agree with him, right? I, I think we're kind of transitioning to a pay-for-play kind of. That's, I think we're already there. I uh, think we're past the transition point. And if, if to kind of talk again about this year's recruiting class which Mar for 2024 maryland has zero players i think we can give a very inferred guess of something that with some of the people we talked to that maryland's lack of nil resources have uh, taken some recruits to uh, to other places but again i and kevin willard mentioned which i think is not true he said oh this past year i've, I've gotten a, a grasp on nil not yeah, sure I mean, you, true. the thing is, you don't really know how much of Maryland's NIL struggles. We could do a whole episode on this. Maybe we should. Um, we, Maryland's NIL struggles, you don't know how much of it is Willer not embracing it, which is, you know, he, he's never outwardly said he's not a fan of it, but, but he historically hasn't been super into it. He said at Seton Hall it wasn't really even a thing, and that, that's partially because, you know, it was, it was in its earliest stages when, when he left. But some of that's just Maryland's donor base and, and Maryland's resources that are available to him are, are limited. Um, but, yeah, Maryland's NIL situation is, is certainly not up to snuff with, with some of their peers. Um, and, and like you said, I think David had some really good insight to that. And, and we've seen it with, you know, they were able to bring in this really good recruiting class. It's really hard to then do that year after year if you aren't able to pay the players because, you know, if I was, if I was a recruit, I mean, if one, play, if one school was offering me a hundred thousand we don't even know the numbers but a hundred, let's say a hundred thousand dollars more to go there i mean it would be hard to turn that down i think yeah and uh there's a select uh six foot ten player that that will uh commit in the next few months and i think that will tell a lot we can talk about it kevin willard can't talk about him legally we, 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 we can, can really talk about we can sure. talk about Derek. Queen, all right, right? We, we we talk about schools you know some of the other Big Big Ten schools, maybe in Indiana, or we're, we're not subject to uh, NCAA That's rules. True, if and, anyone is these days. And that commitment of top ten player in the country of of Derek Queen, he's a a program changing guy. I don't want to put such high expectations on him, but that kind of is what people are saying. He's been a Maryland target for four years now, a, a very very long yeah, time. He's, he started his career at St. Francis and in Baltimore. Again, a, another DMV guy. If Maryland could not land him, not only is that a problem for the recruiting class that they have zero people so far but that to put that in perspective uh by this by this time last year maryland had already secured three of its four freshmen and if Derek queen decides to go to indiana because they have more money i think that or says houston. i or houston i think that says a lot about the direction of maryland's nil situation 
and just how much they need to improve. Because this year's roster, I think it's a really good roster, and I, and I think they have a chance to be competitive in the Big Ten. And you have to imagine recruits, you know, they, 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 they look at team success, and that definitely factors into their, to their decision. But it seems like NIL is becoming much, is much more of a factor than it is just go, to going to a select team because of their success. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Um, and, and I think that, you know, maybe we should, we should try and redirect this back a little bit more to this team in particular because yeah. obviously the big picture <laughs> stuff, we've talked so much about it. And, you know, this is media day for this year's team. Yeah. Um, but let, let's talk about the freshmen. We, we, we talked about them a little bit in the intro to the episode. Yeah. But, but Deshaun Harris-Smith and Jamie Kaiser in particular. I mean, the way the coaches and players are talking about them, it sounds like they're definitely going to start. Um, and, and it sounds like expectations are really high and people yeah. are really, really big on what they can accomplish. I know that I, I saw both those guys play in high school. Um, I didn't see Jamie play after he moved back down to Florida, but, but I saw Deshaun play a lot. Um, and I saw Jamie play back when he was still playing in the WCAC. And, you know, those guys are special players. And, and Jamie Kaiser, you know, he has a reputation of a knockdown shooter. Sounds like from the people that you were talking to in particular, they were, they were raving about his shooting ability. That's the biggest question mark for this team, I think, because Jameer Young, for as great as he was last year, was not a great three-point shooter. Deshaun Harris-Smith is more of a slasher. He plays more uh, towards the basket and uses his size. He's 6'6". If you have two guards that you, know, you can't really respect the three ball with them, if Jamie Kaiser can, can play in that three, uh, that three role and, and hit outside shots, I mean, that just adds a whole other dimension to your offense. It makes you so much more difficult to guard. Yes, we'll start with DHS. Uh, first thing is that speaking to Jameer Young, he basically gave it away. He mentioned, oh, the backcourt with, uh, with, uh, with me and Deshaun has the potential to be something special, kind of how, how, how their skill sets really mesh. Um, uh, DHS, a much bigger guard. Jameer Young more, you know, runs the floor a little bit. And then speaking to DHS himself, he was sitting next to Jamie Kaiser, a kid he's known for, I think, five, you know, like they eight. Played, we, we did yeah. an interview. Uh, it's way deep in the podcast feed if you want to scroll down there. But we did an interview yeah. uh, with, with Jamie uh, in the late spring, early yeah. summer, and he was talking about how far him and, and yeah. DHS's relationship so, goes. Uh, I'll say this. I From what we've seen, heard, DHS, I mean, just he was one of the top recruits in the country. I think he has a really good chance to be the best freshman in the Big Ten this year. And moving on to Jamie Kaiser, and again, like I was saying, he was sitting next to, to DHS, and the first thing DHS says is, this kid, one of my best friends, roommate, he's, one, he's the best shooter within the team, and I think he's one of the best shooters in the country. Obviously, that's far-fetched. Wow. But no, but from what, from what we heard from Willard and Jameer, it does seem like Jamie Kaiser is the best shooter on this team. Um, probably, I think it looks like like at right now he'll probably get a starting role. I think a lineup, and this is from what we've kind of taken away from media day. Tell me if you agree with this. A lot starting lineup right now looks like Jameer Young, Deshaun Harris Smith, Jamie Kaiser, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good bet. I mean, the only other guy that I can see maybe creeping into that starting lineup, but we could talk about him as well as Jordan Geronimo. Yeah. Um, I would probably give the edge to Jamie Kaiser. Um, at that three spot, but um, but yeah, Jordan Geronimo has also gotten rave reviews. Yeah. Um, at Indiana, he didn't play too much. He was injured. He was, I mean, he was playing behind like Trace Jackson Davis. Like, I mean, who, who's ever going to play in front of that guy? Um, he seems like he's, in my calculation, a more athletic, 
perhaps more complete Patrick Emelian. And what Patrick Emelian did for this team last year was provide a bit of a spark off the bench, a guy who, who was a, not afraid to, to do the dirty work, could guard maybe not one through five, but Jordan Geronimo is a little bit bigger, so maybe he can guard one through five, which gives you all sorts of lineup flexibility. He seems like the kind of guy that, you know, maybe maybe a six-man, maybe even in that starting role, uh, that can play a whole variety of positions for you and really open up what's possible for this team if you have a guy like that that can that can do it all on the defensive and offensive end, um, certainly provide a little bit of reprieve for, for Julian Reese and maybe for Kaiser and Scott as well, who you know are going to be expected to play really big roles this year. Jordan Geronimo, f- uh, for sure, brings a lot of athleticism, brings a lot of versatility to the team. And Willard mentioned in his opening presser was that right after the lost Alabama in the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament, the one thing he realized is that they need to get more athletic Jordan Geronimo kind of epitomizes that. He's going to be one of the more athletic guys on the team. I think he has a wingspan approaching seven feet, so a lot of versatility there. Willard also mentioned how in the different lineups that would have gotten smaller, Jordan Geronimo was playing at the five. So, again, I think that versatility, that, that's going to be the most impactful for a guy like Jordan Geronimo. Yeah, and, you know, he, he'll, be, he'll be there in the forward position, maybe alongside Dante Scott, who we talked about once again at the beginning of the episode. But, but you know, Dante, this is his fifth year here at Maryland. Um, you know, he has all the experience in the world playing here, playing in the Big Ten. He was part of that, that team that, that, you know, won a share of the Big Ten title, seems like, a long, long time ago. Um, he, you know, says – Willard says he's poised for another breakout year. Um, what it's really going to come down to with Dante is, A, whether he can actually develop a consistent outside shot like we saw from his sophomore year where he was shooting – um, I think around 40% from three. If he does that, given his size, given his athleticism, I mean, I mean, he's a he's a sneaky pick for most athletic guy on the team. Um, you know, that 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 would be huge, and, and he would be one of the best players on this team for sure. Um, but also, just like if he can play perhaps a, a little bit different of a role than what you saw last year, where it felt like you pass the ball to him in the post, and you know, he had he has that good hook shot that that he really favors, especially with his right hand, but. It just felt like sometimes he would dribble way too much, and you know my biggest concern for him is just kind of falling back on those bad habits and, and maybe eating up a lot of the shot clock, especially when you have you know a bunch of playmakers around you. He seems like it's weird to say this for a fifth-year player, but kind of the X factor of this team. If you get really good Dante Scott, this team could be really really good. If you get the same Dante Scott that maybe we saw last year, even though you know he he was playing hard and everything, but. You know, if you, if you get the same Dante Scott on offense, I should say, and sometimes with those defensive lapses that we saw last year, then, you know, you're kind of probably looking at a pretty similar team from last year. Yeah, we've talked a lot about this roster. We think the guys who can be impactful. I think the last guy we need to talk about, preseason All-Big Ten selection, who seemingly got better throughout the year last year, and Julian Reese. Yeah, I mean, Julian Reese, uh, we, like I said, I mean, his development from the beginning of last year to the end was was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, before um, we really got into conference play, or at least deep into conference play, in, in the earlier stages of the season, when it started to heat up, it looked like he was a freshman. And that's what Kevin Willard called him last year. He said, I'm treating this as Juju's freshman year. Um, and then you just saw by the end of the year, he was one of the most productive bigs in the conference, one of maybe one of the most productive in the country. Um, I mean, he seems poised for a breakout year. There's a lot of hype around him. His shot, there's been a lot of conversation about his shot, uh, watching him shoot around. I mean, it looks like maybe a, a little bit more fine-tuned, but there's there's still a bit of a hitch there. I would not be anticipating that you'll be seeing Julian Reese taking a lot of jump shots. But, but uh, 
But yeah, I mean, Julian Reese will be the go-to guy down low. You got guys like Matty Traore and Cal Swant and Roger behind him, but but Julian Reese is going to see the majority of the minutes down low, um, probably at the five. And you know, he he's he's such a great player when he's working that pick and roll with Jameer Young. You add a guy like DHS to the equation that can also attack the basket the way he can. Um, it seems like Julian Reese is in store for a really big year. I'm really high on him. Um, and I think he could be, you know, maybe the most productive player on this team, honestly, statistically. Yeah. And I also think he's going to play heavy minutes. I don't know if you noticed this too, but when, because when Willard kind of kind of went down and mentioned every player on the team, he didn't seem so confident of of, of where CSR and Madrid were at this point in the season. So I think Julian Reese's role is going to be so heavy, like it was last year. But they're really going to, but they're really going to need him to establish himself in the paint. And we also laugh, like you, met, you laugh at his shooting, but he does need to improve his free throws pretty tremendously this was a guy he's going to get fouled a lot and every point matters and it's just going to be with how competitive the big 10 you're going to need to do so many things right and if maryland can can do a lot of the little things right their roster is skilled enough i think to compete in the big 10 and make some noise as the big 10 tournament comes all right put, put yourself on the record right now where do you think this team will finish in the Big Ten standings? In the regular season? In the regular season standings heading into the conference tournament. Um, I think they'll finish behind Purdue and Michigan State in third place. Okay, that's fair. I predicted them to finish fourth uh, behind those two teams in Illinois, but I think them in Illinois will probably be right there for that third spot. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this team. I think this team looks very good on paper. They look very good from, from what we've seen, and they certainly have all the pieces to do that. Um, this was our show from, from Media Day. We have about two weeks until the season opener, and we'll be you know, providing all, all sorts of coverage uh, here and on TestudoTimes.com for the basketball team heading into the beginning of the season. Thank you all for listening to the Testudo Talk podcast, and we will see you next week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.